Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we just we had a just so you guys know uh, th- there was an event this morning where, where someone um, is having a health issue in the back. I, I'm not sure exactly what all the uh, circumstances are, but if we could take a moment and pray for them. And uh, an ambulance came. You might have seen an ambulance come, and they're going to be taken to the hospital at this moment. We want to let you guys know, and we're going to pray for them right now. Is that good? Yes. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for your peace over, over this situation. We pray that this person would be fully restored. We pray that you would be healing even as we speak in this moment. We pray for wisdom for the paramedics, um, for the doctors that will see them, and we pray that your spirit of peace would rest on the family as they are concerned for their loved one. I pray um, for a swift and speedy recovery and full healing in Jesus' name. We trust you, Lord. Guide their hearts, comfort their minds, and restore. So you know me pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, turn to someone beside you and tell them you look amazing today. And then turn to your second choice and say you're great too. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Welcome to Bayou City Tomball. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at our Tomball campus, and you are uh, jumping in to our series of Nehemiah chapter 3, and we are continuing our study of the book of Nehemiah, and it is an absolute treat because Nehemiah tells us how to build towards revival. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at a new vision to build um, a broken city. Then we looked at the plans to build, rebuild a broken city. And today we're looking at what it looks like to build the, the, for the community to come together to build something great for God. And here's what's needed for every church and every community. It's every person to come together to serve a greater mission. And when every person comes together to serve a greater mission, great things happen. And that's where we are in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was in Persia. He was a cupbearer to the king, and his role as a cupbearer was was to taste wine before the king. And if the king was being poisoned, he would take the wine and he would die. But if he would would take the wine and, and the king would live, then that was his job. He would either He would either die or he would live another day to taste another cup of wine. So that was his job. But his heart broke for the things that broke God's heart. He heard that the walls had been torn down in Jerusalem, the holy city. The temple had been rebuilt over a period of time by Zerubbabel. We see that in the book of Ezra. And Nehemiah's heart broke because still the construction wasn't complete. And the the broken walls symbolized not only a broken city that was vulnerable, but secondly, uh, a people that were still spiritually vulnerable. And so Nehemiah goes to this broken city and he starts surveying the land. And today we're going to see him start building the wall. But here's what's needed for every community. Every community must know that they have to come together if you want to serve a greater purpose. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We can miss the blessing of being part of a greater mission if we miss that greater purpose. We can miss the blessing of being part of the greater mission if we miss the greater purpose purpose. When I was in uh, high school, um, my church that I went to did these mission trips. And so one of them was to rebuild houses in particular areas of Texas. And so we went to this town and you would have different groups that would go to a particular house and kind of rebuild the house, like put up new walls or build a, a wheelchair ramp or replace stairs, all sorts of construction. And in this one particular year, there were, we all went to this one location, and this house had all of these issues. And the, the issues were so significant that they required several groups to all go there. So there was about 20 of us working on this one house, uh, repairing the roof, repairing siding, uh, building a wheelchair ramp, replacing stairs. There was all this work to be done. And I was a freshman in high school, and it was my first time to go on this trip on be on this building project. And so when we get there, I'm so excited because we're all there in one place. There's so many of us there. And I had seen a cute girl. 
And so this, this girl was kind of, uh, she was a year older than me, so so mature, you know, she was a sophomore. And, and so what I tried to do was just saddle up beside the cute girl while everyone else was working on the house. So while everyone was working on the house, I was working on the girl. And so at one point, uh, we're, we're building these stairs and a friend of mine, he's a good kind of carpenter. And so he's cutting out, doing the template, doing the whole deal. And he's like, you want to do something, Kevin? I'm like, no, I'm good, man. And, and I'm, I'm just sitting there and, and they're building and hammering. And I'm just like talking like, ha, 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 making jokes and being all, you know, whatever. Um, smooth freshman in high school. That's what that was, like very... And so we're just having these conversations or whatever. And so we go on through the whole week, everyone working hard on the house, me working hard on the girl. And it comes to the end of the week. And so we're all standing in this circle and celebrating what we had just been a part of in helping rebuild this house. And, and the woman whose house we helped, she's standing there and we're all kind of holding hands together in this circle. And I had strategically put myself behind, beside the cute girl. So I get to hold her hand and everyone else is talking and I'm just going, this is great. And as everyone's talking, I see the woman start crying. And she said, I'm so thankful that y'all came here. I'm so thankful that every person played a part. I can't believe that all of y'all would help me in this way. And then later that night, we go and and share as, as part of the whole church of like celebrating what God had done over the week at all of our different projects. And I remember one of the seniors got stood up and shared about that week. And he described everything that happened that week. We repaired the roof, we repaired the walls, we built wheelchair ramps, we built stairs, like all the things that we had done. And, and then he describes that last moment. He says, and we were all standing in a circle. And he's like, I remember standing in the circle. He's holding that girl's hand. And we're all standing there and she started crying and we all started praying. And he said, and God's presence was there. And as I thought about that moment, it didn't hit me that I had completely missed the purpose and I had completely missed God. While everyone was building a house, I was building something that really didn't matter, a relationship that actually wouldn't last the week. And so many times in life, we can look at our own little worlds and our own little things and we can say, I'm kind of running my own little race. I'm doing my own little things. But we miss the part of being part of the larger mission. We miss what God is building. And so we're doing our own little things alongside of the work and we miss what God is trying to build in the moment. It can happen so often in life. And what we're looking at in chapter three of Nehemiah, for many of us, it seems like if we're gonna read it, we'll read parts of it. It seems like a list in the Hebrew phone book. That's what it seems like. But what actually is happening is very strategic. Nehemiah is showing us that every person plays a part in building. And when every person plays a part, they get to be part of something significant. They get to own the mission together and they get to celebrate what God is building together. So let's read chapter three, starting in verse one. It says this, I warned you, it's the Hebrew phone book. It is, here we go. Here's my pronunciation of Hebrew names that have been English eyes, all right? Um, Then Elishab, the high priest, rose up and his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it from the tower of the hundred as far as the tower of Hanel. And next to him, the, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them, the Merimoth, the sons of Uriah, the sons of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, um, Meshulamah. Oh, good God. Okay. And the son of Ber- More people built. And if you keep on reading, which I'm not going to do to you. If you keep on reading, you'll find good baby names and you'll see that every person played a part or had the opportunity to play a part in building what God is building. And here's the thing. When these people lean in together and serve a greater mission, you find joy like nowhere else. And when the people of God together build for the purposes of God, you find fulfillment like no other place. When the people of God come together and build for the purposes of God, you find fulfillment like no other place. 
And in this section, you see that there's 10 gates listed. Archaeologists kind of debate, but they believe the walk's uh, covered roughly between two and two and a half miles. So there's about two to two and a half miles around where they are building this wall. And the way that Nehemiah describes the rebuilding process is he names um, from north around the circumference of the city all the way back to north again. So he's going in this counter or this clockwise direction. I'm doing clockwise for you guys. Clockwise direction of the rebuilding process. He describes one section at at a time where he is rebuilding the city wall. And it's roughly, roughly two miles or a little bit more of building that took place. And here's what we learn from this section. As Nehemiah describes the construction, he describes for us what's needed if we're gonna build for God. And there's five things I wanna give us this morning that we see from this text. The first is this, that we embrace the need for change. Secondly, that we build for the worshiping of God. Third, that we release our preferences. Fourth, that we find our place. Fifth, that we sweat alongside. So we embrace the need for change, we build for God's worship, we release our preferences, we find our place, and we sweat alongside. The first is this, that we embrace the need for change. As we looked at the end of chapter two last week, we saw that Nehemiah clearly communicated the problem. The walls are broken down, which means that the city is vulnerable and the worship of God is stopped. When when the walls are broken down around the city, it means the people are vulnerable to attack from an enemy. He says, we gotta rebuild these so that our people can feel safe and that we can worship God together. But here's the problem. As soon as you start uniting people toward a mission, When you're uniting people toward a new mission, what's inevitable, what has to happen is change. And when you start building something new, you will change what was. Every time you build something new, the future will look different than the past. The new will cause some to celebrate and others to weep. Whenever you build something new, whenever you start a new direction, the future will be different than the past. And the new future will cause some to celebrate and others to weep. And we saw this in the book of Ezra. If you've ever read the book of Ezra, you see the process of rebuilding the temple of God. And here's what's fascinating about the book of Ezra. As they start rebuilding the worship of God, the center point of the worship of God, here's what happens first. In the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, it describes it. It says, in the second year, after coming to the house of, the God, of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jezodiak, great names, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests, the Levites, for the purpose of building the temple. And jump over to verse 10 through 12. It says this, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, The priest and their vestments came forward with trumpets and Levites and the sons of Asaph and cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, for he is good. And so you see that they're coming together to rebuild the temple, all this excitement, all of this energy, and all the people with a great shout shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. He's describing, okay, everyone's coming together, everyone's celebrating, the foundation of the house is laid. And if you've ever built a home, you know that once you get the foundation laid, work can go more quickly. And so they're celebrating this moment of laying the foundation. But verse 12, here's what happens. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men, who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted for joy, verse 13, so the people could not distinguish the sounds of joyful shouts from the sounds of people weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was not heard away. What ended up happening is when they started building this temple, There was two responses. There was weeping, why? Because it didn't look like it used to look. The foundation was different than the old foundation. 
What was ahead was different than what was. And so whenever we see what the, the future is different than the past, for some of us, we have this resistance. We go, okay, well, well, well what you just built didn't look like what I already had. And here's what's fascinating about this. All, all people look at these realities. They, they go, why is it that people resist change? It's because change means that I have to change. Change hurts. All change hurts. All change makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Rick Warren says it this way. There is no growth without change, no change without fear or loss, and no loss without pain. All growth requires change. And whatever steps go forward in the future, it will look different than the past. Why? Because there's different people. It's a different project. It's a new start. But if we're gonna build again, it requires us to lean in together and say, you know what? Whatever comes ahead, it's gonna look different than what was. It can't possibly look the same. And it requires us to emotionally understand that the future is gonna look different than the past. Zig Ziglar says this, little men with little minds and little imaginations go through life in little ruts, smugly resisting all changes which would jar their little worlds. I read that from Zig and I was like, ow, Zig, that hurts me, okay? But oftentimes our imaginations get small because we don't see what God could do, all we see is that it's different than what God did do. But what the people at this moment when they're building the temple don't understand is that this new temple is gonna be better than the former temple. This new temple is the one that Jesus is gonna come to as a, as a baby, as an infant. It's this temple that he's gonna come to and, and preach amazing sermon. It's this temple that's gonna be the starting point for when Jesus comes and starts building again. See, God is gonna do something new, but here's the problem with change. We don't know what will be. All we know is that it wasn't like it was. And when all we look at is, oh, it's different than it was, when, when we can't see what it will be, it causes us to have a little bit of resistance, a little bit of challenge, because we can't imagine what God might do next. So the first step that we all have to do with embracing any building towards new is to know that whatever is ahead is gonna look slightly different than what was. And we have to get ready emotionally to embrace the change. But he also lines out a second piece to this. Not only do we have to embrace the change, secondly, we have to know that what we're building for, and we're building for the worship of God. Chapter three, verse one says it this, then this way, in, then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred and as far as the tower of Hananel. It's interesting who he lists first who starts this building project. They rose and they began this work and he says, okay, who are the first people I'm gonna list? And he lists the priests. The priests were the ones that established the worship of God. They were the ones that, that oversaw the sacrificial system. And the first place they built was the sheep gate. The sheep gate was the place where they would bring sheep that, was, that were part of the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was demonstrated that, that we're not in right relationship with God, that we have sin. And so what they would do is they would take a sheep, they would, they would sacrifice the sheep so that, that they would show that our sins are, are deserve death and our sins are put on this animal and that animal would stand in our place for our sins. It would, it would take the sins away from the people. There was a picture of our need for to pay for our sins and, and each each sacrifice reiterated over and over and over again to the people that we're not right with God. We need something to stand in our place. And in the New Testament, John says of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This, this idea that, that we're not right with God and something needs to stand in our place is all throughout your Bible. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He stood in our place for our sins. And it's fascinating that when the building begins, he starts with the worship of God. What are we building as part of Bayou City Tomball? What are we building as Christians as part of the global church of God? 
We are building the worship of God. We are part of introducing people to the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, who has taken away the sins of the world. Every person plays a part in establishing the worship of God. John Piper famously said, missions exists because worship doesn't. The reason we, we have services on Sunday, the reason we have small groups throughout our community, the reason we do everything that we do is so that more and more people will know Jesus Christ and worship Jesus Christ. They would be restored in relationship with their heavenly father. And we do it through introducing people to Jesus who can cover their sins, but not just cover their sins. There's an, a second little, um, little word in here that, that probably surprised you, or, or maybe actually you may have been unaware of it. I was unaware of it. It says there's two towers that were built, the Tower of the Hundred, and secondly, the Tower of Henanel. And Jeremiah talked about the Tower of Henanel in Jeremiah 31. When he predicts the construction of the temple, he says they're gonna start and they're gonna start rebuilding at the Tower of Henanel. When you wanna see renewal and revival come to the people of God, it's gonna start with the rebuilding of that tower. But there's also something else you see in Jeremiah 31. He promises a new covenant. A new covenant that's not like the old covenant. A new covenant in which it says that I will put my I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah says, God is gonna restore and this will be a symbol of the restoration when you see that tower built again. And when I restore, not only am I going to forgive their sins, I'm going to change their hearts. I'm gonna make them love the things that I love. I'm gonna make them be the people that love me and serve me. And, and worship, worship of God is the center of what we're doing. We are changing, we're gonna move forward in a new way, but secondly, we are going to worship God. That doesn't change. The mission doesn't change. The reason the church exists, the reason the people of God exist is so that more and more people will meet Jesus Christ. This building is here so that people can meet Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. So we embrace the change, we build for the worship of God. And thirdly, when we move forward and build together, it requires us to release our preferences. Verse five says it this way, of Nehemiah chapter three. It says, and next to them, verse four, Merimoth, the sons of Uriah, sons of Hazak repaired. And next to them, Meshumah, son of Berachim, son of Meshelbiel repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banah repaired. And next to them, the Tekatites, repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? He's listing all of these people that are joining in the repairing process. And there's one group of people here. In fact, the whole chapter, there's only this one group listed in this chapter that refused to help. And this is the one group of people that refused to help were the Techites. And they refused to help. And it says their nobles would not stoop to, to serve the Lord. The word noble can mean exalted ones or majestic ones. It's something with some people with power. And for whatever reason, it says they wouldn't stoop, meaning they wouldn't shoulder their responsibilities. It was a picture of, a, of an ox shouldering a yoke. He says they wouldn't stoop and they wouldn't help. I don't know of what statement you would want said of your life, but I would never want immortalized in the Bible, this statement about me, right? They were all doing this stuff, but Kevin, I mean, he wouldn't stoop to help. I mean, just, can you imagine a statement said of you that was immortalized for all of eternity? They wouldn't stoop to help. They were too big to pick up a rock. And listen, all of us have things in life that we would gladly not do. I made a list, doing dishes, changing diapers, mowing lawns, doing homework. I mean, we've all got our lists of things 
that we would wish not to do. For some of you, you're like, no, no, I love mowing lawns. Well, praise God for you. I've got a lawn. Uh, We all have things in life that we would prefer not to do. And at the church, there's all sorts of things that are needed to go on that that you may not like to do. I remember when I first started serving in ministry, um, I went to a guy and I was like, okay, well, how can I help? How can I serve? And he goes, goes, "You, you want to be in ministry, you want to serve, the leaders build the stage that they stand on. And I was like, oh yeah, that's really good, that's really good. He's like, so what does that mean? He's like, go grab a stack of chairs and pull them over. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to do like ministry something. He's like, yeah, yeah, this, this is your starting point. Go grab a stack of chairs. And so I start moving chairs and setting them up and moving chairs and setting them up. And this is part of this college ministry. And he's like, and I'm like, okay, this, this is great. And, and I'm like, well, when, when does like the chair stacking stop? And he's like, Never. And he's right. I mean, here, like a couple weeks ago, like we had more people coming in and Billy was preaching and I'm like, I'm back, I'm like, We've, we need more seats. And I'm like walking over back to the side, like pulling stacks of chairs and helping them set up. Several of you jumped in and get it. Like, like setting up chairs is always part of the mission. It's always part of the deal. Taking temperatures, giving hand sanitizer, handing out, like all of these pieces are always part of the mission. And whenever we get too big to serve, you know what? We're, the mission has gone beyond us. Whenever we're too big to do the small things, God says, you know what? Well, you may not have a place here. And some of you, when you hear that, you're like, yeah, but, but Kevin, you don't know how awesome I am. <laughs> like if you had a clue at my skill set, you would not put me on chair duty. You would say, oh, clearly you are God's gift to the world. And so you would not do that because I have this unique skill set. And, and, and then I would just encourage you to keep on reading all the way to verse eight. It says this, next to them, Uziel, the son of Haraha, goldsmiths repaired. Next to them, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. You know what's fascinating? I don't see one stonemason listed I don't see someone like, well, this was a carpenter, and so that's why they were here, and this was a stonemason, and that's why they're there. He's pulling goldsmiths, perfumers, and putting them to work. I don't know what you're thought of as a a perfume guy. I don't know if I'm thinking of the perfumer. I'm just like, you know what? That guy can swing a hammer. Like, I just don't, I'm not thinking that way, right? And the goldsmith person, I, I mean, they're more ornate in their construction and, and they have some very specified skills of perfuming and, and, and making gold to look in these beautiful things. And they've got this amazing skill set. But what's needed? I need you to swing a hammer and lay some mortar and stack some bricks. Yeah, but I'm better at some other, yeah, yeah. But here's what's needed. And here's the key. If we don't stoop to meet what's needed, we miss the opportunity to be a part of what God is building. If we don't sacrifice our preferences for the sake of the larger mission, we don't get to play a part. We see this all the time in sports teams. So Tom Brady, amazing quarterback for a long time. He was with the New England Patriots, an incredible quarterback. And at one point in time, uh, the Patriots drafted a seventh round player, a little guy, 5'10", named Julian Edelman. He was a quarterback. Julian was a quarterback at his university. So he had made it as a quarterback. He had contributed as a quarterback. He was drafted in the seventh round. He comes to the team. And for a while, he was on the backup quarterback list. Now, he could have said, I'm a quarterback. I throw strikes. I do not do anything else. But to be a contributor on that team, what did he need to do? He needed to be a slot receiver. He said, buddy, you're 5'10". What we need you to do is go into little holes and take hard hits. That's what we need you to do. We need you to go to little spots. Brady's going to hit you, and you're going to go, ah, ah, and that's all I need you to do. Can I run real fast? I don't need you to run. Can I out jump guys? I don't need you to out jump guys. What do you need to do? Stand right there and I'm gonna hit you and you catch it and you lay down. That's what I need you to do. And he's made a career on saying, I will do what's needed for the team so the team can win. 
And I will be part of building championship teams by finding my space and serving in that place. And I will even release some of my accolades if it means success of the greater team. David Robinson was a perfect example of this. He was a seven foot one um, center for the San Antonio, San Antonio Spurs. At the time, uh, he had been eight years in the league. He, was, he had gotten most valuable player. He had more blocks, more steals. Only Michael Jordan is the only player to win all three awards in one season. At the time, he was MVP caliber. And then they drafted Tim Duncan. And they knew when Tim Duncan came in, David Robinson was going to have to take a step back to let this young kid lead. And they asked him, David, how did you feel about them drafting this other guy behind you? Like he, and he says this in an interview. I can say that Tim is probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. He helped me as an individual to grow up and to become a better player. Helped us to achieve long-term goals that we set, winning championships. And he helped us to become a model franchise over a 25-year period. He was kind. He was the last piece of the puzzle. It's honestly a no-brainer when you think about the synergy between the two of us and what it allowed us to accomplish. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't take a step back and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice my preference for the larger mission, you don't get to be a part of what God could do. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. It's just like change. Whenever we ask ourselves, will we take a step back to be part of this larger mission? We don't know what the end result will be. All we know at this moment is that I have to take a step back from what I wanted to do. At this moment, I just have to take a step back from some of my preferences. David Robinson didn't know that they were going to go on to win more championships. David Robinson didn't know that they were going to be part of this greater thing. All he knew is that some of my stats are going to go down if I choose to make this decision. And that's true for every one of us. If you want to serve God, it means I need to take a step back. I'm going to sacrifice my preferences for the greater mission. And I don't know what the results will be in the long term. All I can manage are my decisions in the short term. Fourthly, every person finds a place. I won't read every person that was used in this section, but here's, I'll summarize them for you. You see families serving together. You see artists. You see priests In verse 9, you see rulers and sons. In verse 12, you see rulers and daughters. You see people from a variety of backgrounds, with a variety of skills, with a variety of social status, all serving side by side together. And here's, here's what they had to buy into. They had to say, I will not be a passive critic. I will be a vital contributor. I will not be a passive critic. I will be a vital contributor. And here's what's easy. In every church you go into, because you're smart, you're gonna walk in and you're gonna go, I wasn't greeted well. They should have done this. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't this person have that thing? Why didn't they do this better? And you are, you are sharp, and so you will see all of the problems. And you're good. And let me tell you about seeing all the problems. You are right You came in here this morning and you're just like, hey, well, Kevin could have done this better and that would have been better if they did that and wouldn't that have been better? And you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I don't have all the answers to all the problems. Can I be honest? I am not the smartest person in the room. You're smarter than me. I'm free. I will admit that right now. You don't even have an argument. You're smarter than me. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm just the leader. And what I need is the same thing you need is not a passive critic, but a vital contributor. Someone that sees the holes and is not afraid to step in and help fill them. Someone that sees the problems and says like, okay, this this is a miss right here. I I can step in and I I can fill that. This is a problem right here. I can move in and I can help there. It needs not passive critics, but vital contributors. The first time I led a mission trip, I was 27 years old. I was leading the junior high ministry. 
And so I'd recruited all these parents to come help, right? So all these different parents were coming to, to help lead this mission trip. And, and I was overwhelmed. There was probably 50 of us coming to Houston to lead this project. We were doing VBSs. We were, doing, um, we were going down to Bentop Hospital to share our faith there. We were doing all sorts of things all over the city. And I was exhausted and overwhelmed in how to lead this thing. And I remember at one point, I, t- I talked with one of the dads, a man named Mike Schaub. Mike is amazing. He's a professor over at A&M, absolutely incredible man. And I'm sitting there with Mike Schaub, and I said, I said, Mike, I feel totally overwhelmed. He said, Kevin, have you seen my, li- my wife, Linda? And I'm like, yeah, your wife's amazing. I mean, she's amazing. And she goes, you know why she's great? I said, I don't know. Why is she, why is she great? He says, ministry is like a big wall with holes where water kind of flows through. And Linda sees the hole and just helps. So there's a hole there, she's gonna put her hand. There's a hole there, she's gonna put her hand. Hole there, she's gonna put her foot. You know, like she's gonna figure out where you're missing and she's gonna make everything you're doing better. She's done that in my marriage. She's done that in every ministry she's been a part of. She is a vital contributor. She'll make everything you do better. And she says, that is what you need in this group. So tell the people your holes. Tell the people what's missing. And let them step up and lead and serve alongside. Let them be a part. They'll make everything better. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. See, the church of God is meant to be the people of God working together for the purposes of God. And that's what we see in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, he says he gave some to be prophets, some to be leaders, some to be teachers. But then he says this, this is, this is crucial. Ephesians 14, chapter 4, verse 14. He says, we are no longer to be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see what he says? He says each part of the body plays a vital function. And when the whole body's working together, you know what happens? It builds itself up in love. And if you think about a body, that's what it does. Red blood cells do certain things. White blood cells do certain things. If if you have a hurt on your head, you're like a hand and a, a rag will stop the blood. You know, like every part helps the whole. And if every part's working together, it builds itself. You know what a vital church is? A vital life-giving church? It's one that builds itself up in love. It means that when you come in and sit down on a given Sunday morning, I'm not waiting for someone to greet me. I'm going to greet them. It means that when I come and and, and I walk in on a Sunday morning and I see that there's a miss or someone sitting by themselves, I don't say, oh, it stinks to be them. I don't know them. I walk over with a mask on and, and with like, a lot of eye animation, and I'm like, I'm so glad you're here, and I can't believe that you're part of this, and do you do pounds, or do you do handshakes? I don't know, and and you are going there, and you're like, I'm glad you're here, And, and every person plays a part, and that means that every one of us says, you know what, we gotta grab coffee sometime, or you know what, I I would love to get to know you more, or can I text you, invite you to my community group? Every person playing a part, and when every person plays a part, what does the body do? It builds itself up in love. There's a lot of holes that need to be filled, and teamwork, teamwork, is the ability for all of us to move together, to see the problems and fill them in together. Helen Keller says this, alone we can do very little. Together we can do so much. And if you are waiting for a person to fill all of your needs, I would tell you that's not gonna be helpful if we're trying to build a vibrant community. If you are willing to be used to help, then we can build a vibrant community. So we embrace the change, we build for worship, we release our preferences, we find our place, and fifthly, 
we sweat alongside. I'm going to read you one verse you never thought I would read you, and it's verse 13. It says this, Henan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Kevin, what's the dung gate? It's what it sounds like. And can you imagine if you're building this, this wall, you're like, okay, I want my vital part. Like, oh, they're helping with the worship of God. And oh, and there's a fish gate. That's exciting. And, and where am I going to be? Okay, you know what we need now? We need you to sweat and labor and serve. You're like, oh, I'm there. I'm totally there. Where, where do you need? Just anywhere. I need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's this gate over here. Yeah, what gate? Yeah, it's, this, it's over here. Um, and we're going to need you. It's strategic. It's going to make the community smell better. Um, you need the perfumers? No, not, not the perfumers for this one. Um, but we're going to need you to go to the dung gate because, like, people have things and then that needs to be moved out. And so we need you there to build that gate and make that thing work. Can you imagine that moment when you're like, okay, do I have to do that? I remember a friend telling, telling me a story about... Um, one of the people that uh, ran um, a, a Christian camp. And he would go to every person and kind of teach them how to do everything on the Christian camp. And there would always be a moment at the end of the week of camp where they would all have to go and clean toilets. They would all have to do it. And kids are normally really cleanly and, uh, and thoughtful throughout the week, but every now and then there would be one or two kids that decided to have Fun at the Dungate. And, and, uh, and there would always be one that was overwhelming. And he said, but the director of the camp would always go to the worst toilets and get on his knees and start scrubbing toilets. And so every one of us in that moment were, were like, all right, I guess we've got to do the rest of these. You know, like every person knew that there is no work too small. There are no menial jobs. There's just meaningful work. There's no menial jobs. There's just meaningful work that we all have to be a part of if we want to see God do something great. And let me tell you this. I'm going to cry on this one, all right? All right. Try not to cry. Do you want vibrant relationships in your life? Do you want meaningful, life-giving relationships with men and women that don't just like you but love you? Do you want meaningful community where you know this person has my back? You want to have life-giving, hope-filled, powerful relationships with men and women you can trust with your life? I'll tell you how you get them. You do the menial work alongside them for the purpose of a greater mission and you build the greatest unity imaginable. My best friends are men's that, men that I did youth ministry with starting in 2005. Zach and Jacob. We made videos of kids together we set up camp together. We would drive early and leave late. I remember one, one point in time, it's 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Zach and I are sitting there. We're exhausted after this crazy camp. And we went to the fire pit. We're sitting around the fire pit. And we hear like this creeping along. And I'm getting freaked out, like this rustling in the woods. And I'm like, what is that? And so we, this is our personalities. I like recoiled. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, okay, go get him, Zach. I'm right behind you. And uh, and it's these kids that had snuck out and were like trying to scare us. And so they were, the, but like every moment, at one moment we were trying to get kids to come to an event. And so I wore a banana suit and he wore a gorilla suit and chased me around the school. Like all of these ridiculous, ridiculous things. And he's one of my best friends. He's one of my best friends. You know why? Because we serve the Lord together. There was no job too small for any one of us. There was nothing insignificant. 
Every menial task was menial work for the purposes of God's greater mission so that people could meet Jesus Christ, so that the church could be built, so that lives could be changed, amen? And let me tell you what, so many of us want deep friendships but we're not willing to do hard work. And if we're willing to lean in and do hard work together, let me tell you what, you will develop deep relationships with the people beside you. You will be part of God's greater mission. And you will be part of building what God is wanting to build. These people working on a wall did not know, did not know that this would be preparation for the arrival of Jesus Christ. They didn't know. But that's exactly what happened. Jesus Christ would come, live a perfect life, die in our place for our sins, bring salvation to the world. They didn't know that putting up this brick was part of that mission. They didn't know, but it was. You don't know that clicking a slide is part of God's greater mission. You don't know how that's gonna affect someone's life as they read that text from that song or see that thing, how, what a powerful moment that will be for someone. You don't know that, that changing that diaper in that room over there while that mom can sit in here and worship and hear the word of God, you don't know that that may be transformative for her and helpful in her marriage. You don't know that, that serving in that youth ministry with, with Josh over there, that helping that, that junior high kid learn about Jesus Christ, these parents have been praying and praying and praying for their kid, but, but you sharing the gospel in that moment will be transformative, not only for that kid, but for that family. You don't know the full impact of your serving. And I think God is gracious in that because we've become proud. But he says, I just want you to be faithful and serve at the Dungate. <laughs> so that this community could be built so that lives might be changed and people might meet Jesus Christ. Every person has a part to play, everyone. So what do your pastors do? We had a retreat on Tuesday. And as part of that retreat, um, Eric drew out a map of this entire building. He drew up a map. We put a spot for every single spot we could possibly have someone serving from youth to children's to greeting to doors to people in this room, like every single spot we could imagine. And we lined it all out. We said, okay, if we want to have more spots for people serving, here's what it would look like. And here's the purpose of people serving in more spaces. It's so that no person doesn't get a smile with the eyes. It's so that no person isn't, goes unknown by name. It's so that no person can walk into these doors and out of these doors without getting out. I thank you so much for being here. Is there any way I can help you? It's so that everyone can be known, cared for, and loved. That's why we put a bunch of X's on a map. So that every person can be known and loved. So what's next? There's three things I want to call you to for what's next. The first is this. February 7th, Super Bowl Sunday will also be our Super Bowl Sunday because after service for about 45 minutes, we are going to relaunch our collective, collective team. That's our service team. And we want you to be a part of it. There's a lot of needs. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot of help that we need. And we want you to be a part of serving this church community. And so February 7th, you will be out in time for the Super Bowl. I promise you that but you will get your part to play in what God is doing in this community, in this church on February 7th. It is our collective relaunch that Sunday, February 7th. Put it on your phone, tattoo it on your forehead. Remember, February 7th. Second is this. <clears throat> Last week I challenged all of us to drive our community, to drive our community and pray for the people that are in our community. And so some of you live in Magnolia, some of you live in Cyprus, some of you live in Tomball, some of you live in Old Tomball, whatever, you, you, know, you got your places. <clears throat> that you would intentionally pull out your Google Maps, 
you would drive your community and you would be praying for the people that are in your community. We challenge you with that. Will you continue to do that? Because that call will not end immediately. We want to say God wants to move and he moves through the people's prayers that we're working the soil so that people might be ready to receive the gospel. Would you pray for your communities? And thirdly, there's something you can do every week regardless of whether or not you come to collective, regardless of whether or not you drive to your community, although I encourage you to do both of those things. Would you consider, I went to UT, this is what they said, come early, be loud, stay late. And it was corny, but it is simple. Would you consider coming early? Not that you can get, so you could get a good seat, but you could meet some great people. <clears throat> that you would consider coming early, and regardless of whether or not you're serving on a team, you would actually be a, not a passive um, participant, but a vital contributor. That you would come here and you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna have my head on a swivel. I'm gonna greet some people. I'm gonna love some people. I'm gonna encourage some people today. I'm gonna get there to be an encouragement. That you would come early on Sundays, and for some of you, that you would stay a little bit later. You would hang out and say, hey, can, can I get your name? Can I know you? Can, can every Sunday be an opportunity to build some meaningful relationships with people, that every person plays their part. And if every person plays their part, we get to be part of fulfilling God's greater mission of getting Jesus to the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us gifts You've given us talents. You've given us all sorts of abilities. And with all of those abilities, you've given us the opportunity to shoulder up along side by side, to encourage one another, to build up one another. And Lord, you said that if each part of the body is building up, it will build itself up in love. And that's what we want to do. We want people to love you, Lord, more and love one another more. We want people to know you more deeply, Jesus. So, Lord, like Nehemiah did to organize his people to fulfill the mission you called him to in the city of Jerusalem, I pray that we would be people that shoulder up side by side, that we would build together so that we might be part of serving your greater purpose so that the world might know Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.